Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Today is the day the Lord has made. Uh, the challenge on some days is to rejoice in the day that the Lord has made when our lives are full of challenges and disappointments, betrayals, regrets, and devastations. And that's actually going to be the subject of our first conversation today. What what do we do? How do we respond as people of faith when that which is absolutely unimaginable happens in our own family. And that unimaginable thing um, might be a diagnosis. It might be, um, you know, a tragic accident. Um, It might be the loss of a child. Um, It might be financial ruin. You know, the obvious character in Scripture who we think about here because he experiences all of these things. The obvious character that we think about is Job. Um, Job, who lost not only, um, you know, his pretty magnificent uh, financial wealth, um, one of his homes collapsed upon his children and his uh, children's children, his grandchildren. He he lost his family. He lost his wealth. He lost his health. Uh, And his friends were uh, initially you know, a comfort. They came and they sat with him, but then they started talking and uh, that was not particularly helpful. His wife uh, also, um, I mean, her counsel to him was curse God and die. Uh, That's not helpful. And so how do we, as people who profess belief in a God who is good and steadfast and merciful and um, available and powerful, how do we, as God's people, Respond in the midst of unimaginable pain and grief in our own families. We have the Psalms of Lament as counsel to us, as comfort to us, recognizing that we are not the first generation of believers um, to walk through these valleys of the shadow of death. We also have the knowledge of the long history uh, of other believers who have walked in, uh, in great difficulty through seasons of life. I'm thinking here about uh, C.S. Lewis as a grief observed and others. Um, but up next, I'm going to have a conversation with Kathy Branzell. Uh, she comes on the show periodically to talk about prayer. She is the head of the National Day of Prayer Task Force. She is also engaged in an effort called Love 2020, which is a collaborative effort of all kinds of ministries to bring the gospel to bear in the realities of life by Uh, praying for, caring for, and then sharing with people who don't know Jesus. And so Kathy Brandel is going to be here next to talk about how her own family is walking through a very deep grief right now. You may have heard the news out of Georgia a couple of weeks ago of the death of two children in a house fire. Those two children um, are related to Kathy. And so she's going to talk with us about walking this 
desperately sad journey. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining me now, Kathy Branzell. She is uh, my friend in real life. She is my sister in Christ. She is the head of the National Day of Prayer Task Force. Um, and I'm going to just read uh, to our listeners, Kathy, um, just the read-in on on the story that we're about to talk about because this is. Uh, I want them to know. I, I want them to know what everybody knows before you tell us what nobody knows. So. Uh, the Forsyth County Sheriff's Office responded to reports of a residential fire at 2.41 a.m. on Saturday, October the 5th. Um, deputies were unable to enter the house due to the severity of the flames. And when Forsyth County Fire Department personnel arrived, uh, they discovered the mother had escaped but found uh, two children, Sean, age 12, and Morgan, age 9, deceased in an upstairs bedroom. Um, this is a story that is tragic in any uh in any community it's tragic um for any family but this is your family's story so kathy thanks for being here today Mm -hmm. thanks for having me we just um as you and i talked we decided that uh, this is something horrible that god could use and only in his strengths um that we could share a testimony um in this horrible tragedy and test that we've gone through to lift other people up and to um, really prepare in prayer, which is the only reason that we've gotten through this is God's strength, but being prepared in a relationship with him um, to get through days like this. Prepared in prayer. Um, I want to talk about, I want to talk about that. um, But I think that to lay the groundwork, um, if you're willing, let's take people to, you know the moment that you that you heard the news that no one could ever be prepared to hear and um because i think that there's a couple of layers of of testimony here for you and i as mature christians to be able to um prepare others to respond better than they may initially be led to respond when they get the kind of news that we're talking about getting so um how do you hear and respond in the moment yeah, so, and, and just so the listeners understand, so my cousin Robin, uh, her, the, the bedroom, her bedroom was on the main floor of the house, and um, there's a lot of stonework, there was, there was a lot of stonework around the outside of her wall, and when she um, awoke, because she was sweating and thought the air conditioner had broken, and opened her bedroom door there on the main floor, and the children's bedrooms were upstairs. Um, the house was completely engulfed in flames. Um, it was a gas fire <clears throat> believed to be caused by the stove um, in their house, and um, gas fires burn very fast and very quickly. There's often not a lot of smoke, or, and so smoke alarms do not go off in a gas fire many times. So um, uh, she was able to escape straight out of of the garage door um, when she realized she couldn't get through the flames. There wasn't much left to the house even at that time. 
Um, so when I got the call that this had happened, uh, my initial response, um, my heart ached for Robin. There was this shock of, this is a bad dream, I'm going to wake up. Um, and then uh, within seconds, I immediately began to pray. Um, just can't can't imagine that kind of loss. Can't imagine. Robin was one of those moms. I don't know that she ever handed her kid any kind of screen and said, here, entertain yourself. They, she was so involved in their lives, and they were always going to do something. They were always outside doing something, um, hiking and at the pool or uh, riding their bikes and playing sports and um, just this day in and day out of activity together. And and even um, at the funeral on Monday, I just said to her, she kept saying, I should have held them longer. I should have told them I loved them more. And I said, you know, are you, you gave them a lifetime of attention and affection in their few short years. And, um, and so just being able to reflect um, on the, the mom that she was, the memories we have, but most of all, to just set ourselves in prayer um, in God's strength and um, as our stronghold, as our, I mean, as our strong tower, um, as our refuge, as our strength, that's where we've had to walk in the last uh, you know, 12, 13 days. God as our refuge and strength, God as our strong tower. We're going to come back to those images in just a moment as we talk with Kathy Brenzel about how each and every one of us needs to be preparing now in prayer for the reality of um, that which is not only utterly unexpected, but uh, but should at some level, like for all of us, be anticipated as we live in a fallen and broken uh, and dying world. So that's up next, Preparing in Prayer with Kathy Brenzel. We'll be right back. I'm talking with Kathy Branzell, coordinator for the National Day of Prayer Task Force, about preparing in prayer for news we're really never prepared for, um, particularly that which is just tragic and devastating in our own lives. So, Kathy, talk about how we do this and the importance of it. Why, why does every Christian need to be preparing in prayer today for the news of tomorrow? Well, I was thinking about how we talk about how, um, you know, life is a battle. Uh, We talk about spiritual warfare. Um, Jesus told us, you know, in this world, you will have trouble. And so uh, as prayer warriors, then how do we prepare to be on the front line? Uh, You've got to go to boot camp. You, You have to be prepared. You don't sign up for the military one day and find yourself at war the next. And so what do we do to prepare to be strong? And um, uh, you and I like to talk a lot about apologetics, and that's the defending of our faith, usually to or with someone who either wants to learn about faith or they're tearing it down. And in these days of trials um, and and tragedies, disappointments, all of those things, um, sometimes we have to defend our faith to our own flesh. Um, and against the enemy who would dare to tempt us to be angry or anxious. 
And so in that, I, I just started jotting down in the last few days just five quick points of how um, thankful I am that God had me prepared in prayer and how we need to continue to strengthen ourselves. And so the first one is know what you know about God because he is unchanging. So our circumstances change all the time. Our moods change all the time. Our, you know, uh, things, things come at us every day, um, small and big, um, and horrendous on some days. And, uh, circumstances always change, but God doesn't. And so we were just, uh, remembering this past week that God is the same powerful, amazing creator of the universe um, that he was and is and is to come five minutes before the fire and the breath after the fire, um, that he is unchanging. And so my faith doesn't rely on my circumstances. It relies on him and him alone. And then that leads into the second thing, because we know and learn about him through his word. And so we needed to um, take every thought captive and meditate on his word and his character. Um, you know, God, God did give us a life instruction manual. Um, it's his love letter. It's his word. And as he doesn't change, the rules and the rewards don't change. His word doesn't change. And so as we go through triumphs or we go through trials, um, his word is the same and it carries us through. And so uh, you can imagine um, in, in times of tragedy, you tend to think about it. You tend to think about what was happening in that moment and um, what the future even looks like. And you play it on a loop in your head. But his word says, take every thought captive. And so I would grab the trash. I would grab um, the pain and my imagination that would run wild. And I would... It, replace it with scripture. I know whom I have believed in, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him to this day. I remember his faithfulness from the past, and I and remind myself and I tell others about it as my testimony. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways higher than ours. And so I would just pray, Lord, lift me up to your thoughts and the heights of your ways. Um, we want to have the mind of Christ. And so mm -hmm. I didn't want to spend a lot of time trying to figure out the hurt. I wanted to spend a lot of time seeking him um, and, and just staying focused on him. Uh, the third piece is to resolve. So today, right now, because resolving is an ahead-of-time decision, resolve to abide and not run and hide. Mm. Stay close to him. Uh, interestingly, it, it resolving is like a fire drill or a tornado drill that we go through. Um, you have a fire drill. You go through fire drills at school and work to be prepared because in times of, um, of, of real tragedy, of a real tornado, a real fire, a real emergency, uh, you're flooded with all these chemicals in your brain that shuts down your decision-making process. But if you've gone through the drills, there's like this muscle memory in your brain. There's a highway already marked in your brain of what you're going to do and where you're going to go and how you're going to do it. That's a resolve. And so resolve that you're going to stay in him with him and not be paralyzed by the emotions of the moment. Hmm. Good. Our, What's number yeah. four? Number four is a daily drill of praying without ceasing. 
Mm. Prayer is a conversation with your constant companion, Jesus, who never leaves you or forsake you. It's a daily building up of um, his presence and his word and his ways. And it's more than just a spiritually healthy habit. It's a lifestyle. And so prayer becomes your go-to. Uh, prayer becomes your conversation with Jesus, whether you're seeing something beautiful or experiencing something tragic. And um, I was so grateful that in the moment, I mean, just still on the phone with my mom, um, who was mm-hmm. telling me this news and, you know, saying, you need to go get, you need to go get to Robin now. Um that that my immediate response was just to turn to Jesus as, as if he was sitting next to me, because he always is, and to start talking to him about this and asking him for strength and asking him for what to say and, and just handing that over to him. And then finally, the fifth one, and it might sound silly, but hopefully not to radio listeners, is um, a, that in our lifestyle of worship that we live, a lot of times turning to singing now, we often think of just worship. We go, oh, we went to, you know, we, we went to worship. And so we just think of singing, but our life is a worship of giving and working and prayer and serving and teaching and all those things. But but going to the singing part, um, I have gone to the hymns and to um, even current Christian music uh, over the last week. Um, you know, I think it's uh, Zephaniah 317 says, the Lord sings over us. Mm. And I just had this picture of how a mom will sing over her infant when she's trying to calm it. Um, when, when talking to a baby doesn't work, when reasoning with a baby doesn't work, um, you know, even with, with uh, toddlers, you, you tend to hold them and sing over them. And so I've been singing it as well with my soul. And because he lives, and um, I raise a hallelujah. Mm, and so I just amen. want our listeners to know heaven really does come down and fight for you. So um, never cease to increase your prayer life for days like today and the unknowns of tomorrow. Kathy Branzell, thank you so much. Uh, we'll continue this conversation in the future. Friends, thank we'll be you. right back. All right, next up, a conversation that I actually recorded during the Caringwell Conference in Dallas, Texas, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, my conversation partner here uh, is, uh, is Kimberly Norris, and she's a sexual abuse trial attorney, and she represents victims of abuse, um, uh, serving as a consultant and testifying expert in abuse cases. She provides legal counsel, um, and she also uh, partners in a ministry called Ministry Safe. She has trained more than 450,000 ministry staff members and volunteers across the country in how to protect our kids from sexual predation in the church. That conversation is up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Are you uh, navigating grief? Are you walking in the valley of the shadow of death? We just had an extended conversation with Kathy Brenzel about how we can prepare in prayer today um, for the unimaginable, which is likely to happen tomorrow. Um, I have listeners uh, texting me on the text line, reminding us that we need to be praying for Robin, the mother in this story. We also need to be preparing to walk with people like Robin. And so uh, in order to do that, we need to know how to navigate grief. And we're offering a free online course called Navigating Grief with Humor. You can find it online at myfaithradio.com. You have through this weekend to sign up. 
Um, and so go ahead and do that. If you're looking for a way to be equipped, how to navigate grief in your own life or how to walk with someone navigating grief, sign up for the free online course, Navigating Grief with Humor at MyFaithRadio.com. Do you ever feel like your team treats you like a walking, breathing ATM machine? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. We've all been there, haven't we? Hardly a day goes by when a teenager doesn't ask for something. But when parents continually cave in, they often fail to realize the long-term consequences. You might view that a new pair of shoes or that upgraded iPhone as a generous gift, but your teen sees it as a God-given right. There's nothing wrong with parents who want to give their children nice things. But when you hold back, you give your teen something much more valuable. Restrained desire is something all of us have to cope with. Mom, Dad, let your son or daughter know what it's like to work for something they crave and feel the reward of earning it. Looking for more parenting wisdom? Go online to ParentingTodaysTeens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. In the eye of the storm, you remain in control. Thrilled to be joined now by Kimberly Norris. She's a visiting professor at Educational Ministries and Leadership. And she is here at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission National Event. And she is equipping churches across the country. She's a sexual abuse trial attorney representing victims of abuse. She serves as a consulting and testifying expert in abuse cases and provides crisis management and allegation response counsel to child-serving organizations of all sizes. You have been in lots of litigious settings, but you've also been in lots of settings with, with Christians who, frankly, want to be doing better. So we really appreciate you being with us today. Kimberly Norris, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you. Happy to be here. So first of all, we want to be sure that people know that the website that they can go to for some help on this is Ministry Safe. Dot com. That's ministrysafe.com. Kimberly, let's just start with what does every church out there need to know um, or need to do, and why will background checks never be enough? Um, so let me um, reverse the answer. Um, so first of all, that, that what ch- most churches are looking to do these days, at least when I uh, encounter churches and ask, what are you doing to protect kids in your program from child sexual abuse? The number one answer I get is criminal background checks. Criminal background checks have become a standard of care. We need to be doing them. Uh, if, if we in a ministry put an individual in a room full of kids who has a past known or knowable history of molesting kids or endangering kids in any form, frankly, um, if we put that individual in a room full of kids, the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. If that individual acts on their known or knowable past behavior, that's a train wreck, both in terms of uh, human damage and uh, liability, frankly, public perception in terms of how, what the church or ministry will encounter moving forward. So criminal background checks are important. They must occur. They have become a standard of care in child-serving organizations in the U.S. However, they are not a standalone safety system. They are not a standalone uh, screening process. Um, and this is because statistically 90% I'm sorry, less than 10%, flipping that around, of uh, individuals who have sexually abused children or intend to sexually abuse children will never encounter the criminal justice system. So less than 10% of abusers will encounter the criminal justice system ever. The Department of Justice two years ago said that statistic is less than 4% will encounter the criminal justice system ever. 
Um, that's first and foremost because kids don't tell. Two out of three kids in 2019 don't tell. You know, they're talking about it typically for the first time, if they talk at all, when they're adults. Um, so that, of course, has to change. So uh, a criminal background check, while important, um, is not a standalone safety system. Um, we believe uh, at Ministry Safe, as, and this is on the heels of 28 years in this realm, both litigating cases um, and providing um, preventative protocols and legal advice uh, to ministries large and small, we believe the answer uh, in terms of what constitutes an effective safety system is um, effective training. Um, we call it sexual abuse awareness training. Actually, the state of Texas named it that, um, but uh, appropriate training. We can't address a risk that we don't understand. Um, and if we don't understand how this risk is going to manifest in ministry context, that our chances of being accidentally excellent are small. Okay, so we've got to train our staff members and volunteers in child-serving programs uh, to better understand the risk, understand the misconceptions, understand how abusers, um, the patterns uh, that are easily learned, frankly, of how abusers gain access to children in ministry programs. So that's the first step. The second step is what we call skillful screening, and that's an appropriate screening process that will include a criminal background check. Um, but it's a screening process that utilizes questions that are meant to elicit a high-risk response. So that's a mouthful. What I mean by that is we need to ask the right questions, and then we need to train ministry staff members to recognize a risky answer. Uh, we know from 35-some-odd years of offender studies, uh, we know a lot about offender characteristics, you know, a lot about male and female offenders. And um, those characteristics, those risk indicators, those life patterns should be well known to ministry staff members who are hiring employees or bringing on volunteers. Um, so we need, again, to train. We need to ask the right questions. Yes, that's the paper trail. But we also need to train our folk to recognize a risky answer when they encounter it. The next part of the process is, as I've said, an appropriate criminal background check. As well, uh, we believe it's super important for ministries to have tailored policies and procedures. And um, this means that your policy fits your program, like you didn't borrow it from the Boy Scouts or um, some other entity down the street, and that you are addressing the grooming process of the offender in your policies and procedures. You are addressing common grooming behaviors that are known to be utilized by offenders to groom children for sexual interaction. This means you have bright lines in place. And that would be, this is okay on this hand. This is not very clearly communicated to your staff members and volunteers. Um, and that has the added benefit of if you very clearly communicated your expectations and you very, very clearly communicate this is okay and this is not, then you're more likely to hear about it when someone steps over your bright line because you don't have a lot of gray. You've got some bright line uh, policies in place. And the last is monitoring and oversight. And this is the idea of adequate supervision. This is the idea of being able to show that you do what you say you do. This is the idea of working child protection into ongoing protocols that you put in place in your ministry. So it becomes part of a performance evaluations. You are um, involved in a cyclical review of what you have in place 
and reviewing it in terms of does it work and are we doing it consistently. So that's the system that we think gets it done in ministry context. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to ask Kimberly Norris what parents need to do to safeguard their kids. You're listening to Morning for Carmen. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation now with attorney Kimberly Norris. Um, she spends a lot of her time uh, counseling people in ministry environments how to improve the safeguards against um, sexual predatory behavior. She also spends her time uh, giving you know, consult to organizations where uh, sexual predation has taken place and, um, and what they can do in response to that. And she advocates for uh, abuse victims. So thank you for uh, not only what you do, what you've been doing for 28 years, but the way and the spirit in which you do it. Truly really appreciate it. Kimberly, let's go this direction. What do parents need to do to safeguard their kids? Yeah, so um, when I'm speaking directly to parents, which I get the privilege of doing periodically in ministry environments, um, just a couple of um, quick takeaways. First of all, be very present. Um, don't be the drop-off mom or drop-off dad. Be very present in the life of your child. That is the most protective thing you can do. And of course, that takes time and effort. In my home, um, I made my house the place that people, kids wanted to be. My home was unequivocally put together in such a way that our house was where the fun was happening. And that was intentional because I know what's happening in my house and I know what isn't happening in my house. Um, so being very present in the life of your child goes a long way. Volunteer, show up. Don't assume that things are happening in a manner that they should as it relates to this specific risk. The other issue is, or the other, um, I guess, um, advice I would give is go very slowly to give access to any one of your children to any adult or much older child in a one-to-one -one unsupervised context. Um, that by itself, again, goes a long way toward abuse-proofing your child. Go really slowly in assuming that it's ever appropriate for an unrelated and to some extent even extended family members um, adult or older child spending time with your child alone. Now, I'm not, I don't have any problem with older kids spending time with younger kids, but I think it should be supervised. And uh, a great percentage of initial or early abuses occur within the construct of the family. So go very slowly to do that. All right. What are, um, what are some of the blind spots? Where, where are we not paying attention or not looking that we should be? Uh, the big blind spot today is parents bought into stranger danger. Um, parents, and you know, they did it honestly. The federal government gave it to us. Um, they bought into stranger danger in a big way. So the person who's a, a, a danger to your child as it relates to child sexual abuse is someone outside the proverbial fence. And statistically, that's just not the case. 90% of kids who are sexually abused are sexually abused by someone they know and trust. It is not a stranger. It is someone inside the fence. So whether that's a family member, extended family member, um, youth leader, coach, teacher, etc., etc., it's somebody typically known by the child and to some extent trusted by the child. And that's not coincidental. I mean, what molesters are looking for and what we talk about in our baseline training uh, is what molesters are looking for is trusted time alone. They need trusted time alone with your child in order to groom that child for inappropriate interaction. 
and you're not going to give trusted time alone to any adult or much older child that you don't deem trustworthy. So molesters groom the gatekeepers. They groom parents into uh, assumptions that they are helpful, trustworthy, responsible people. That process um, yields access, and that's what they're looking for. So uh, again, it's rarely a snatch and grab. It's rarely the, the stranger danger scenario. Again, continuing my conversation with Kimberly Norris, um, and you can check out what we're talking about at ministrysafe.com. Kimberly, I I raise this concern because I know that we talk about little kids, and I know that we talk about people who come forward with information as adults for things that happened to them when they were children. But I have in view here when something happens to a teenager, and that teenager is sharing some information with their parent in real time about what you and I would regard as a really inappropriate relationship with an adult. Talk with us about how to deal with that as, you know, as parents. Mm-hmm. Um, so first of all, my uh, advice to parents about this issue in general, child sexual abuse and how you communicate it to your child, how you interact with your child about sexual topics in general, my advice is start early and do it often. So. Uh, I'll get to the teenage question, but the chances of you hearing about that from your teenager depends on how open the lines of communications were all along the way. So I started when my girl was three. We had cats. They were very prolific. They were a great object lesson about just sexual topics. And because of that, the lines of communication were open such that she would come and tell me about the boy at the swimming pool who wanted to play the game where he put the spongy ball in his shorts, et cetera, et cetera, when she was eight. Um, Because of that, I learned about circumstances that occurred in high school with friends that otherwise I don't think I would have learned about. And so the baseline is start early and keep the lines of communication open. Secondarily, believe them. Tell your child, I believe you, and be an advocate for your child in that circumstance. It's astonishing how many parents choose to disregard what a child told them about somebody who's typically a trusted adult, family member, or older child, cousin, et cetera, et cetera. I believe you. I will take action to protect you. Um, if it, in my state, state of Texas, and in most states, it's a reportable event. If it was an adult or a much older child who sexually abused or in any way inappropriately touched a teenager. So that's a reportable event in most states and has to be reported to the proper authorities. But the place that those scenarios tend to get messy is in family situations where individuals want to uh, assume that if the offender apologizes, uh, that that can be the end of that in terms of ongoing behavior. And um, so baseline, believe them. You know, the number one reason why kids don't tell about abuse is because they don't think they'll be believed, study after study. Uh, And then be an advocate for your child. Protect him or her from any further interaction with that individual because any non-consensual sexual touch is a crime. I feel like, Kimberly, the the line on that for some people um, is different. It, it's, a, it's, an, it's an interpretation. Um, could you address that? If, if someone hugs me in a way that they think is appropriate, but I experience as inappropriate, right? Like, how, how, do, we, how do we deal with that in our culture today? So if a child is telling you that an individual makes them uncomfortable and that the way that they physically interact with that child 
So first of all, listen, because typically that's the tip of the iceberg. Mm -hmm. Not exclusively, but typically that's the tip of the iceberg. So asking open-ended questions, totally appropriate. Did something else happen? Um, tell me about um, what happened next. Open-ended questions. Totally Assure them they're not going to get in trouble. Right. Like, right. This is, right. yeah, you exactly. can trust me. You can tell me I'm a safe person. There's all of that. Right. Yeah. At a minimum, what you, you want to stay away from uh, shaming questions. You want to report to a supervisor if it's in the context of child-serving context. But if we're talking to parents here, I think what the, the baseline is, my job as a parent is to protect my child, kind of regardless of what someone else thinks or feels about it. So if my child comes to me and says it makes me uncomfortable when granddad wants me to sit in his lap, etc., etc., my job is to protect my child. And so that means I am going to be the gatekeeper between my child and any individual under any circumstance who is in any way um, in requiring physical affection or physical interaction from her with which she is not comfortable. So I taught my child early on, you are in charge of anyone with whom you are physically affectionate. You are in charge. You decide. I taught her eye contact. I taught her to shake a hand. I taught her to engage an adult in conversation, but no one has the right to require physical affection of you if you are not comfortable with it. And if someone tries, mama needs to know. So I think there is an element of just protection and not discounting what the child is communicating to you. A good bit of the time, the child is communicating something to you that is this much of the story, and you need to know this much of the story. She's showing me the difference of, uh, of an inch versus a, a span of a hand. Right, yeah, right. So again, it's my job to advocate for my child and become the China wall that keeps my child from having to have interaction in that way. And I am never going to put my child in a circumstance where she is alone with that individual. That will never, ever happen. All right. Thank you so much, Kimberly Norris. You guys can check it all out at ministrysafe.com. Um, again, ministrysafe.com. Just wonderful uh, opportunity to just hear from somebody that's been actively engaged in this for so many years and is right on the forefront of this conversation. So thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, you're welcome. I enjoyed being with you. We'll be right back. All right, friends, a lot of you are already asking um, for not only the audio for the conversation that we had with Kathy Branzell at the top of this hour, um, you're asking for that list of, of five things that she shared. So here's what we're gonna do. We're going to post that at MyFaithRadio.com on, uh, on the page for Mornings with Carmen. There's, a, there's actually like a, a blog at MyFaithRadio.com, and we're going to post the content from my conversation with Kathy Branzell right there. So you can not only go back and listen to the audio as soon as we get it together and get it posted. So like, don't I mean, no. If you go to MyFaithRadio.com right now, obviously it's not going to be posted. We just did it. But it will be posted shortly, and, um, and we're, we're going to post it there with some of the content actually typed out for you, like the list of five things that you and I can do today to prepare in prayer for the news of tomorrow. Remember to get out there today and also goss up, find a good news story, talk about somebody behind their back in a positive way, build up the kingdom, uh, advancing the message in the ministry of Jesus Christ. That's what you are if you ever wondered what in the world you're in the world to do, that is what you're in the world to do today. So have a great day, make it a great day, and God bless. 
Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.